my daughter's just turned nine months. So it's very interesting at this, at this juncture to see that, you know, this feeling of, okay, I had carried her for nine months and now she's becoming her, the person that she is these past nine months. And she has no idea of the world being any different (laughs) either. Um, I, it was very, very challenging. Like I can't, I am a person who really tries to look on the optimistic and sunny side. And it was very, very lonely and very, very difficult to be pregnant at a time when you couldn't safely, I couldn't safely go visit my mother and grandmother the whole time I was pregnant because my grandmother was so at risk and I had to stay. If you left and you needed to go, you know, get an ultrasound. Have you been outside of the province in the past 14 days? Well, you can't get an ultrasound, you know, all these different things that you're trying to be so careful. You're trying to be so everything. And, and it's very hard to know. Everybody has their different levels of comfort and where they were at. And for me, because it was just, it's my first baby and everything was completely unknown. Uh, And Montreal was such an epicenter, much like New York that it was very heartbreaking because it's a city that I love. I love walking around. I love doing things. And at at a certain point we had a curfew, so we couldn't go outside after uh, it was earlier at night. I think it was eight or 9 PM. I don't even remember anymore. Some of the painful stuff you just like, it goes away and you forget. And you couldn't, yeah, you couldn't go outside. It was illegal. You'd be fined unless you were walking a dog or going, or in my case, going to the hospital. (laughs) Then you had a little note from the hospital saying you're allowed to go out at night, you know, and this kind of thing. It was pretty wild. Like a gym pass or something. Yeah, like a hall pass. And I saved it actually, right? For for my daughter. (laughs) This is going to feel, I hope it's going to feel so surreal to look at later on. And and then, yeah, when she was born, and I will say the, the craziest part after all that, that kind of loneliness and and all that's fear and scariness, the people who were there for me, the, uh, this isn't at all, like, this is just the truth. This isn't at all, like, hyperbole at all. The healthcare workers who were with me in the room, who were there with me, like, throughout the process, like, my doctor following me, the doctors who were there when she was born, the nurse, everybody following up. It was unbelievable, the amount, like, I get emotional thinking about it now, the amount of that they gave me and that kind of they became like a surrogate family for me when I couldn't have my own family around because they were in another city I'm just so grateful for it because they were going through hell and it just still are you know and they just gave everything 110% you know and they're they're going through so much more and seeing so many people come through all the time so I have I had even more respect and even more like gratitude towards them for that, because I didn't expect that, you know, I just, you don't know what you're going to get. And at at certain point, everybody is behind a mask, you know, in the, <laughs> in the delivery room, you're in a mask. <laughs> so, you know, you don't, and so it's very strange. Your baby is seeing that's how your child is born at the same time. She doesn't know anything any different. Right. So it's a wild experience. And I also, I'm just so glad that everyone's okay. So at the same time, it's a story she's going to hear about and she, and she won't even know or care probably when she's five and we're going to say the stuff. She'll be like, oh, cool. And like, I want to watch Paw Patrol now or something. <laughs> best case scenario. It's just, a, it's a really interesting story. Yeah. The best case. Exactly. And, by, I'm, by and that's time, why I'm like, she's able to process some things that like we won't be in this anymore, you know, knock on wood. 
Yeah. Or she'll be like, well, it's wave 84652.1. Like, big deal, you know? <laughs> for for better or for worse, we adapt to things pretty quickly. And you yeah. know, especially young children do. So yeah, deal with whatever world she's born into. Yeah. And, and I think just it really makes me want to be strong enough, to, especially having gone through that, to be there for her and just stay if anything it's really helped me enjoy now that she's here on on the other side on the outside and just enjoy like the playfulness and really be so present because you just i still everybody remembers that moment like when did you like know like when the whole world shut down you know everybody trades those stories and it's like it just feels like the world is falling out from under your feet and that's going to happen again in different ways, whether it's heartbreak, people have it, relationships, like people pass. It happens all the time, but we just are never ready for it. And we still make it through. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious for you as somebody who makes her living essentially being on the road. When when did it click for you that things are going to be different for a while? Oh, my God, I was in denial. And I still, I mean, we still are in this mode of we're hoping, you know, if you can't do a show, you're rescheduling. You're always doing something as a leap of faith. You got to be, right? You have to be just to like feel sane. Yeah. And I think that that would happen. Now I realize that that is happening all the time, regardless of what, where we're at in, in terms of pandemics, no pandemics, anything. You're, that is just always something, something can always happen. And so it just makes me very keenly aware of everything kind of having that. I mean, obviously, you, you have to be able to plan a little bit into the future, although you can never know what the future holds. But yeah, it's, it's really been an exercise in learning to let go of any kind of concept. Or it seems almost like a joke to think that you can ever have any say in your own future anymore. <laughs> You know, and I don't mean that even in terms of divine intervention or anything, but just just learning to accept that I'm this tiny little speck in a giant, giant universe. And, and sometimes that's so beautiful and exciting. And, and sometimes that's just terrifying. And you're like, but I really want to know when I'm going to go back on tour. But you just can't. You just can't. And there's like, you know, I was talking with my one of my best friends and she's like, you know, there's some zebras like somewhere that they have no idea who you are and they don't care. And they're just chomping away on some grass in somewhere. And that's just like, you know, we're just both coexisting right now. And they have no idea there's COVID-19. The idea of being bonked on the head by the universe is, is an interesting one, because I think like, unless you're the Dalai Lama, or maybe even if you are the Dalai Lama, we still have to be successively bonked on our head a lot over the years to, to, to realize those things. Even with what feels like the proper perspective, there are still going to be moments in our lives where we're going to be kind of, where we're going to fall on our ass and realize like how silly all these things are that we're hung up on. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I wish that I could, you can't feel grateful in the moment. You can't feel like, uh, I mean, nobody's immune to that. Nobody can f not feel the gravity of any, like whether it's a, a death, a loss, like grief is so real. And, and sometimes even that's just grief and of a lost dream. You mean like you can't feel it constantly? I mean, there must be moments in your life where you, where you have felt present. Oh, yeah. But just, I mean, in the sense of like, no one's immune to that 
shock of like when you're knocked on your ass. <laughs> Maybe the Dalai Lama is able to ride it out better, you know, but I, I want to be able to surf that a little better, but it, it's, I don't know if it's ever not going to feel dramatic when, because it, it's a, it's a measurement, at least for me, of how much I love something. If I, if it's when it feels like a kind of a loss. And I think we are all feeling a lot of different kinds of collective loss and grief, you know, whether it's just from not being able to see people we love or lots of people lost their jobs, lots of people, you know, people passing. It's just been a, a very challenging time. But, you know, there's also a lot of that grief comes from the fact that we have so much love. Do you think there's something to the idea that, that artists feel things differently or at least process things differently? I don't know. That's a, I don't know if I necessarily think of myself as maybe process differently, just in the sense of a, here comes the input and how it, the output of my dot matrix. Yeah. My dot matrix printer is musical, but I'm always pleasantly surprised and excited when I hear someone else's interpretation of what I've made or what I've written and how it speaks to them and just realizing there's so much more in whatever I've made than I even realize. And that was part of why I loved making this orchestral record, um, this kind of more classical strings arrangement of songs I'd already recorded because it's with time uh, and perspective, you kind of re you get to see, you know, or hear a new vision of that, that there was more, more in there than I could have ever imagined when I was writing it. Is there appeal, uh, an appeal then in making things maybe a little more obscure or maybe sort of obfuscating the meaning to some degree so that people can have their own takeaways? I think I wanted to be more clever or thought that I could do that when I was younger in my earlier records and going back, seeing that. Um, but I don't know if I can claim that much cleverness either. <laughs> Everybody thinks they're Bob Dylan when they're 20, right? Exactly. <laughs> So, you know, I don't know if I, I'm, I'm happy which songs, I, I was happy to see which songs hold up, but I don't know if it was necessarily because they were more obscure or anything was necessarily more open-ended. I, I, sometimes I think even when, you, when I'm trying to write something very direct, I'm always still surprised at what people hear in it. And I think I'm saying it very plain and people are like, oh, I, I thought it was a song about this. Like, Whoops. Like, okay. There now it is. It has to be because that's how you heard it, you know. So that part's also really cool to me. That I I feel like just in the same way that we were talking about this letting go of control, there is something about song for me anyway. I as a songwriter, maybe it's more like song carrying. Like I'm just helping carry this this idea or the, these melodies and these thoughts to their new home in someone else's ears. Is that something that you feel like you had to work on to some degree, sort of being open to that interpretation or, you know, and being receptive when things are like interpreted in a way that is so different than where you were at and what you were attempting to put down on paper? Um, in the cases where it's disappointing. Yeah. If you <laughs> so think that, it's really good. Ones where it's, of course. You, when they, they don't like the song. Is yeah, that what you're saying? Just, you're like, you know, you just, there's lots of, you know, crossed wires or different things that, you know, there's, there's been lots of times where, or somebody thinks something's really great. And then you're like, Oh, 
oops, I, I actually was not into this and I should never have shared it. And then, and then you come around and you're like, oh, actually, I wasn't so bad, you know. <laughs> that is one of my favorite topics because it's something that I felt like pretty deeply myself is being better about accepting the compliment from the standpoint of, I don't know, I don't know if you had this impulse. I certainly have and a lot of artists I've talked to have had this impulse to like, when somebody says they really like something that you did that you don't like to like push back on it. And that is a, that's a oh, terrible yeah. thing to do to somebody who has enjoyed a thing that you've made. <laughs> You're such an idiot for liking my song. You know, yeah, exactly. no, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's almost even, even if it's something that I like that I've made, I think I had to learn to accept that was maybe one of my biggest lessons that I, I I'm still learning it. But early on, just accepting love, accepting kindness and accepting somebody's experience as being real, like that, that, uh, that somebody would like something that I made and that it wasn't, you know, may, well, call it imposter syndrome, call it whatever, you know, just accepting that and not trying to use it to sabotage myself, <laughs> you know, to quote RuPaul, like my inner saboteur coming out. That, that was the biggest challenge for me, I think, early on in my songwriting journey, just realizing, okay, actually, I, I can accept this. I can accept this love and, and I deserve it or deserve is a weird word, but you know, it, it's real. You feel like you've dealt with imposter syndrome in a real way though? Well, it's always going to come. It's always going to be hiding. There's always going to be the little, the little shadowy voice that that's, oh, I don't think that ever really it's just small now. It's like one of those little dinos that you would put in the water. And if you water, if you put it in the sink, it's going to get big. But if you just kind of look at it and you're like, yeah, that's just like this little thing. It's like a little curiosity now in the back corner. And, and you just got to be careful. <laughs> I hate to say it, but like how much of it is external validation that has helped keep that dinosaur small? That's, that's the problem is that if you use the external validation, it won't be. You can't. It just, and that's where I realized when it came to like, whether it was reading reviews or seeing certain things, that's, that was part of my struggle. Even that's what I'm kind of trying to figure out now in terms of things with social media, because I, I almost am afraid when something is positive, you know, because that, then that's the imposter syndrome comes up and says, that's not real. Like they are going to find out, they're going to find out that you're an imposter. Your imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it, that impulse is stronger when you have positive feedback. Yes. Yes. That's, that's my little, that's my little, you know, tiny demon dinosaur coming up to say like, they're going to find out that you're not all that you're cracked up to be, or this isn't really your, you, you got nothing. That was your one good song. And then there's nothing after this, you know, and that's just giving that much attention to that voice just doesn't achieve anything. And it's not, it's just there to, it's just there to really be annoying. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't help you work. It doesn't help you make art. It doesn't make, help you feel good about yourself. And, yeah, just so, and that part of that's what I mean, just learning to accept that love and just accept that kindness is something that I had to learn. I wonder if it can be a positive motivator, or at least like from the standpoint of, you know, obviously this isn't ideal, but having a certain sen sense of dissatisfaction with what you do can ultimately be a motivator to some degree. Right, exactly. To make it to make the well, yeah, just knowing that there is no perfect. But it's, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun. And just knowing the perfect doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs>
maybe I used to, maybe I used to want to so hard. It's like everything's shifted. Like just in, in the experience of having my kid, it's just, it's all shifted now because I, I don't know. Maybe I used to think that you could write a perfect song. I go, I hardly even remember thanks to the mom brain. But now I accept that, that that is impossible and that there's just so many, there's such a world universes of, of different kinds of perfect songs. And I'm, I'm always saying like, this is the best song ever. And then tomorrow will be like, this next song is the best song ever. And just, just living in that in the moment. So yeah, the motivation is, the motivation for me has really changed. And, and, and maybe before there used to be this little worker bee of like, okay, I got to make something even better now or something. But it's it's really more playful than that for me now, for sure. You had said earlier you'd use the words uh, "hold up" when describing some of these songs that you're revisiting on on the album. I mean, what is that? What does "holding up" mean in that context? That they that they still have something to say to me that I didn't hear before. So it's sort of like it. It felt like. My, at the time when I was making this record, I was also listening, one of my things that really got me through being pregnant during the pandemic was listening to a lot of like Willie Nelson. And he's somebody who does multiple versions of the same song, his own song, cover songs, and other people will do his songs. And and there's this one song I was playing over and over again. It's actually, I think it's a, I think it's a Merle Haggard song called Today I Started Loving You Again. And there's this version, I've, I think Willie does like two or three versions, but there's a version I have on this vinyl that I have not, I cannot find anywhere else. Maybe it's on Spotify. I actually, I don't think, I've, I think I looked for it on Spotify and I couldn't find it. But it's like the craziest rendition. And it's, it's almost like the way Willie's singing it is so unlike Willie because he's so much louder. Normally he's got this restraint that's very poetic and very jazz. And there's this, he's just crushing it out, like singing it so hard. <laughs> he isn't even somebody like you think could like do that, you know, like, like after listening ever so long, like he doesn't seem like he like even has the ability to belt it out because he is so sort of quiet and subdued and kind yeah. of small and frail now. And this song is as well is normally so like sweet and, and it's never played like a giant, you know, almost Phil Spector like giant production. And it just, I don't know, I had it on repeat for, I must have, I could have worn out the record, but I, we ended up recording from the record, just, just dubbing the record because it was, it's just so good. And I just kept thinking, yeah, there's, there's just this whole idea that I love that from folk and country music of these songs, they just earn, they just earn their own life and their own path. And that's kind of what I was exciting about playing with these orchestrations that I've had over the years, but I never had a chance to record. And so they'd only ever existed in a live context, whether it's with the symphony, Nova Scotia or Philharmonic and Hamilton, Ontario, or with the quartet in Banff and, you know, so it's really, it's really fun to have them put to tape and just sing them in a different way hear them in a different way and still have them reveal something new to me. Does that, that Willie song jump out at you as an example, because like you're aware of the other version of the song and you know how different the two are. Yeah. Well, I know like so many versions of this song, there's probably like 50 covers of this song or more. It's just such a classic. And it's just, and I, what I love about this particular song is because it's <laughs> this idea of like, 
I just, I started loving you again, you know, like this idea of here I am back again in the same, po- I'm right back where I've really always been. And just this idea of repetition and, and just covers being repeated, just the song, this is this infinitely coverable song. It's a very, it's a very country sentiment in a way, you know, oh, where it's yeah. not, it's not like puppy dog first romance. It's, we had this thing, I've been through some shit in the interim and now I'm back to it. Yeah. I got over you just long enough to let my heartaches mend. And then today I started loving you again. And just all of that is just, I don't know, just, and normally it's sung all sweet, like, you know, today I started loving you again. <laughs> you know, it's all sweet. And then, yeah, well, he's just like, and then today, uh, and then today, uh, and he doesn't sing it this way on this other version that I have of him. So just hearing this. Yeah, it just blows my mind. Even now when I think about it, I still like have goosebumps. This is something that you have to be acutely aware of, given what you do and, you know, given like how many times you've sort of seen the sausage be made. I, you know, I'm curious. Uh, this, you know, this probably will never be a story we'll ever be able to get to the bottom of unless we talk to him or talk to his producer that day. But it makes you wonder if he was just feeling a little bit different that day or like, you know, if there's something that day that sort of contributed to this like dramatically different version and how all of sort of the the context of recording and what happened to you when you woke up that morning have a dramatic impact on a song like that yeah when if i ever have the chance to meet him i'm gonna ask him that's so that's the one thing i would love to know just it it's because it really got me through like a really ins- and that's the part that I love about uh you just don't know what these songs are going to do years like when I'm pretty sure it's Merle Haggard who wrote it too so it's also a cover right so um yeah he just you he's the one who wrote it so it's you don't know where the song is going to go and who's going to receive that message or <laughs> sometimes you you think you can control what the message is and you have no idea like it's just it's it's a very powerful thing. There's always that struggle that I, I assume I'm you know I'm, I've never been much of a musician myself, but there's a real push pull when it comes to doing a cover song between how faithful you want to be because obviously like there's something that you saw in the original version that you fell in love with and you want to recapture that, put a stamp on it without like making it different for the sake of being different. Yeah, I love I love covering songs and I love listening to covers and. Some of my favorite, I mean, a lot of my favorite artists, their best or my favorite stuff of theirs are their covers, like, like Cat Power, like Willie, you know, there's like something about tapping into all you are looking for is a feeling or just the idea of interpreting. And I think that's kind of interesting, too, is like these two languages meaning like your own language of who you are and then you're hearing this song and you're interpreting what that energy is through your capacity as an interpreter or as a as a as a musician and as a as a lyricist or um just your own language because everyone has their own kind of universe of their own language that i i always find really interesting too just to hear and i mean it was just interesting listening to so many podcasts as well (laughs) and recently just listening to everyone and their own everyone has their idiosyncrasies everyone has their own i mean you've i don't know thousands of people thousands of conversations that you've had now at this point i'm i don't know how many episodes you're what episode you're on now 504 yeah it was like yeah and so you know that's an incredible amount of language and energy and cadence and fun twists and little 
little instruments. Everyone's got their own instruments. So it's true. And 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 we, and we were talking about this, I think before we started recording, but something that had only dawned, that dawned on me way too late. And, and I don't think I've heard anybody really sort of articulate this, but it's how important it is to listen before you interview somebody to listen to an audio interview that they've done. I think that's so cool that you did that. <laughs> I don't want to get like too metaphysical, but the way instruments play off each other. Yeah. And it always takes a bit of time as well. That's what's so cool about the, this medium is that it, you have the time to actually get into the jam, like into the flow where you don't feel like you're a student having to perform on the exam or something. <laughs> One of the things I was listening to today, I was, you know, I was, I was listening to, to your music and I watched a, a live performance you did of Daniel Johnson's True Love Will Find You at the End. Oh, one of the best songs. There's almost no risk of performing it like him because you, you can't. Like, nobody can. Yes, exactly. Exactly. That's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I actually met Daniel Johnson um, as a teenager. He had opened for Yola Tango and I was at the concert. And it was this very strange thing to because he, he was... I, I think he was playing solo. And this venue used to have a pizza place inside it's called the phoenix in toronto and they used to have this little zone near the coach where they also sold pizza and they also used this was before cell phones, so there's pay phones so i was still this is like i didn't have a cell phone at the time there were cell phones but i didn't have one so i was going to the pay phone to call my mom after the show had finished to ask her to pick me up <laughs> I saw Daniel Johnson there. He's eating pizza. So I just said, thank you for the show. That was amazing. I, I loved the songs. He said, thanks. Do you want some pizza? And I was like, I'm okay. I'm calling my mom to pick me up. And he was so sweet. And it was just a very strange and surreal, that was it. But that just to know that was, you know, just in those weird crossings of like, oh, I really enjoyed this instrument and this performance and this and this person's energy and just these words and then many many years later i'm still seeing this song sometimes that shows just when the mood strikes because i love it so much and i've always loved that sentiment forever the other thing that struck me about the performance was and, and this is not unusual for you but you know that it was just you and a guitar to a certain extent like you know there's there's probably only there's sort of a model that you need to kind of like work within when when you have literally limited instrumentation but also that there's just no that there's nothing to hide behind yeah well that message is just doesn't need to be adorned really to me i mean it, it would probably sound amazing as well completely adorned because it would it would be it's it almost that song feels like a meditation to me but uh, i also i've done it in different ways i've played it with an auto harp i played it with a group with vocals just vocal, like multiple vocalists and, and an instrument. So it is, it is fun to explore different ways. But I, for me, I'm always trying to get to what I feel is the message of a song when I'm doing a cover or a, an energy that I'm trying to get across. You did a nice write-up of the new record that is in the press material. And I think it was The Garden, uh, the song The Garden that you had described as, um, as also big in meditation. And what is mm -hmm. what does it mean for a song to be a meditation? It's funny just <laughs> because it's so difficult to describe what meditation is. <laughs> it's always, fut it feels futile. But that stayed where you're no longer thinking about the past and no longer thinking about the future. Sometimes when you're at least for me when I'm performing 
oh, hey, there's a solo coming up. Like, gear up. For, and and the, the best t- performances or the best times I'm writing is when I'm no longer aware of any of that. And I found it, maybe with time, I'm trying to reach that more. It just write songs that put me more in that kind of state. So when I'm performing, and maybe because I'm listening to a lot of artists that, that are in that kind of, um, I would say on, on a similar, like an Al, like Alice Coltrane, I just listen to her a lot lately. So I'm also very interested in writing, writing or making compositions for myself, whether I share them or not, that put me in these kind of places that allow me to get out of my own way. That's really interesting because the, obviously there's common DNA between you and Daniel Johnston from the standpoint of like, on a very basic level to you and guitar or, or, or not or, or whatever, but fundamentally the, the music that Alice Coltrane is playing is, is, is very different. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's certainly like not in the um, blues or even sort of like folk paradigm. Right. It's just really exactly. very uh, spacey is probably the word I would use to describe it. Yeah. Or, or in spiritual and I, all music is spiritual. I guess that would be the common DNA. She's probably more spiritual than most of us. And yeah, <laughs> she's an enlightened being. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would call her stuff meditative in the same way that I would call like Sun Ra. I don't know if you listen to him mm-hmm. at all, but like meditative mm-hmm. or like Pharaoh Sanders. Pharaoh Sanders is exactly yeah. what I was going to say yeah. on a very, in a very basic sense of sort of the repetition that they have when, like when she does do vocals, it, you know, they are sort of like very repetitive and, and, and chanting. Mm-hmm. What lessons can you learn as somebody who makes a very different kind of music? When I'm listening to her music, it puts me into a state where I'm I'm very aware of my body. I'm very aware of my breathing. I'm very aware of my place in the universe where I am. Sometimes I just think to myself, okay, I'm sitting in this chair. I'm in Montreal. I'm in this land known as Canada on planet Earth. You know, I expand it bigger and bigger and and I kind of stop thinking about all the minutiae. So when I think about a lot of spiritual music, and I, I feel this way about gospel music, I feel this way about a lot of sacred music, is it allows you to, at least it allows me to, whether it's let go, surrender, you know, just get out of your head and into your body and into the present in quotes, <laughs> what I, what I think is the present. And I think that that can be done with all kinds of music. It's just that sometimes when you're, I, I don't know, at least for myself, that's the, that's the place that I want to write from now. And but that's also <laughs> what I want and what's going to happen are two different things. So we'll see. <laughs> day to day, these, these things are different because, you know, maybe like the weather is crappy or you got a flat tire or something. And these all are all inputs that you're eventually outputting. Yeah. And I think, I think the thing that's for me right now, what I'm, what I'm really interested in is just even those little stupid things, all the little minutiae is also its own kind of magical, strange, bizarre, absurd. It can be spiritual. It can be special. It can, it, it can be worth cherishing. So we'll see where that all, where that all lands. <laughs> but all of the music that I'm making now, all, everything that I'm d- doing comes from, it's just a, another piece in a long line of people making music and singing long before recording ever existed, long before Pro Tools or logic or anything long before guitars like the very basis of everything is voice and drums and i i just feel like any kind of music if you can get back into that physical side you can connect to something 
really deep, but it is a matter of, you know, it doesn't, whether, you know, it can be happy birthday. (laughs) You can sing sing happy birthday and it can still feel profound. (laughs) Yeah. What do you do to sort of, I guess, clear the slate and get your body and mind ready to be in that state as much as is possible? That's the hardest part. That's definitely the hardest part because there is no one formula that works for me every time. Is actual meditation, is that something you've practiced that's yeah, that you find useful? Breathing exercises, definitely. Um, sometimes just having the same repetition of a routine over a number of days so that when you go to the place where you want to just play in front of the piano, you don't feel this, okay, now's the time I have to do this thing. You're kind of almost conditioning yourself to open the doors kind of to that flow and not have expectations that it has to be the same every time, but just actually showing up and being there is what makes the difference. So that's, that's maybe the only thing that over time I've found to be effective, (laughs) just showing up and not having, not grading myself every day, not giving myself some sort of report card at the end, because that, that can, you can, you don't know what's going to be the seed for something else down the line. That helps. Tea. (laughs) Tea is really good. (laughs) Tea is like of the utmost importance. And then if you're really stuck, a lot of coffee, a lot. (laughs) Caffeine or, or is there something sort of just more, more in the ritual of drinking it? It's the ritual. It's actually the ritual of making it as well. I really like the whole process because, and, and I think that's also just also physical. It's going back to the physical where you're very aware of, okay, here's the grinds or whatever. You're just thinking about something so not about anything other than this very mundane kind of, it could be washing dishes. You know, if you're just, as long as you kind of get yourself, for me anyway, as long as I get myself into this thing, sometimes just like cleaning the house can then you feel like there's a whole clean slate because there's actually a ritual that I really loved that I, I heard about um, a, a, a Japanese theater ritual that before performances or maybe even before rehearsals, you would wash the floor of the stage. And I learned how to do the washing of the floor. It was, I was learning it in a, in a theater class where you're on your hands and knees and there's this little towel and you go across you start at one side of the room and you go across the whole floor and then you just turn like a little half turn and you go, so you're doing the whole thing in this little strips by hand. And so that you really honor the space and you kind of are giving it a a chance to have like new energy. You clean the floor like that? I don't clean the floor like like that, but that was a, 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 I just clean everything. Just to have it all clean. Yeah, that that was what we did at, in the theater class. That's what we did. We did clean the floor like that. And it was cool. It was cool to learn that ritual. But that would not really, my space doesn't have, it's not an open stage kind of. So it would be, it would be, it's, it'd be more like a Roomba. Like I'd have to like memorize all the spots and have my pattern or something. <laughs> The last, like, I think major batch, I mean, obviously you've done some subsequently, but like the last like real batch of interviews that you did, I think was really around the, the 2016 record, which I, that was the one that was recorded in Joshua Tree, right? Um, I did one in Joshua Tree, which is the Are You In Love? Um, and I did Good Advice in Louisville, Kentucky. 
and a lot was said about the process of going, you know, th- that you went to Joshua Tree. Obviously, it, again, it's, it's a spiritual place for a lot of people. Ultimately, how important is the setting? It's everything and it's nothing. It's like, sometimes it's the most important thing. Give me the most like Buddhist answer of all time. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. I'm just being honest. (laughs) I I really did. I'm just, because sometimes you build up everything. Oh, the set, it has to be perfect and everything has to be just right or whatever. And then it's like, well, some of my favorite recordings were done. You know, you're just trying to capture the same spirit you did in your iPhone in this elevator, you know, or, you know, you stop the car and you pull over and you're like, okay, here's this great vocal idea. And you're like, well, I can't get it to sound as good as this demo. Like, and I have this perfect studio, you know, like you could record in the nicest place. And it's, it's really, it's all in your mind. (laughs) But But it, of course it helps. Of course it helps. If you, for me, the best part about going to Joshua Tree was actually to force myself into a place that is the exact opposite of where, anywhere I'd been, you know, the closest I had been. I loved, I love travel. So it's also Part of it is there is this journey aspect where you're going, you know, whether when I went to Louisville, it was that I had a big road trip to get there and it, it prepares you in a certain way to go into a new space. And the, it is different from working at home. Say you have a home studio. I have a home studio here in my basement. It's different. That's a, that's a whole other kind of, that's really a lot more like gardening. You know, for me, I see that more like, okay, I'm going to tend, you know, the song garden today and let's see what comes out. And that's a really cool that there's there's no right or wrong way really uh but i do it it's really if you get hung up on the space that's when the problems come in because you're really just using that as an excuse to not get out of your own way and just like see what happens i've had that experience like either like going on vacation or even going to a museum and like standing in front of some great work of art and just really being in my own head about whether i'm getting what I should be getting out of it and whether this is having the attended effect. <laughs> and you put a lot of pressure on yourself. I assume if you like go to a different country, you know, to record this record that like, oh man, we better get, we better get all of the Joshua tree magic on this thing or it's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and sometimes it's not going to work out. You know, there's certain songs that didn't work out and that's okay. You know, there are certain songs that I thought this is going to be the song and it's going to, you know, and then, and then same thing, like with, in terms of sound and, and I mean, in terms of making a record, a space actually is important in a lot of ways because it determines the sound, the room sound determines the sound of the record, unless you're making something completely, as they say, in the box like a lot of pop music where it's just in the computer and then that has its own sound world. Obviously it's, it's in its own landscape of ones and zeros. So there is an importance as well in terms of the, the room determines the whole thing. And sometimes it's not the right sound. So then you're like, well, oops, (laughs) we're going to redo this one in, you know, in my living room, (laughs) you know, that happens all the time. That happens all the time. And, and it's, and it's really getting used to rolling with that. And, and that just comes with experience, like that I'm lucky enough to have made this many records and work on other people's sessions and realize like, yeah, that's just, that's just part of the process is the, where your head is at in that time. If you're, if you're really trying to squeeze out everything and you're putting so much of that in, or sometimes just accepting, okay, in this instance, it wasn't right or doesn't feel right. 
and then you do something else. It didn't suit that specific song. Yeah. Or you go back two years later and you listen, you're like, oh, actually, that was a banger. Whoa, damn. Should have put it out. <laughs> Maybe I should re-record all these songs, but We're, with orchestral arrangements. Yeah. Well, you can be your own worst enemy if you want to, right? So it's like so a part of it too. At the end of the day, the process is is also being able to let go and say this is done. Um, and and that's like that with vacations too, or any any journey where you're like, okay, now I'm I'm here, and this this is going to reveal itself to me what it is, and I can't as much as I want to put my own stamp and carve out exactly how I see it in my mind. It's not gonna. There's still the environment around me that's gonna have that. But but we used a lot of the environment on Are You in Love. We were recording the sand, we were recording the wind, and just putting it through pedals and. That was really interesting because you don't know what it's going to, the wind, you can't tell the wind what to play. (laughs) So putting, taking that, taking that sound and then putting it through a bunch of guitar pedals and seeing what it's going to sound like is very exciting. And then you have the, you know, now with modern technology of the luxury of being able to pick what you like about it and where you where you put it in the song. Having heard, again, that, that specific recording experience, uh, having heard you talk about it, that one of the benefits was also that you kind of have to force yourself to write or finish songs because you you know you're like in this place for this time frame. And that ends up being a motivating factor in and of itself. Yeah, it, it was. I was actually surprised at some of the songs, how they came together. Because you just like, you can't uh, be too picky. And then the ones that I was too picky... Or kind of like hemming and hawing about the lyrics. When I came back to it, you know, I can edit and doing things like that. But the general core was already there. And it's it's really the only thing that was really challenging about the Joshua Tree experience was that it was so dry that I was losing my voice. <laughs> so it was harder to record the vocals all at the same go. Because it w- was like we were, we kept calling it dusty salsa, you know, because we felt like we were, <laughs> it was like the magic of the wind, but also it's, it's, it was like in you. <laughs> Recently, a friend on Facebook, you know how Facebook does that thing where it's, here's what you were doing 10 years ago today and like yes. shows you some like old photo. And she made some comment of, I didn't appreciate how cute I was at the time, you know, like Aww. now, like being like 10 years old or whatever. There's something to that, right? I mean, there, there's probably something to that in, in making songs too, of just really having a different perspective on it and also like you know if you're lucky appreciating it more 10 years later yeah it's interesting because i see the the song as something that i get to here's the snow removal can you hear the snow removal (laughs) speaking of environments um this is quite the ambiance have you have you sampled that yet I mean, not intentionally, but it's definitely on recordings. Yes, it's there's definitely even on the garden. There's quite a lot of Montreal sounds because we recorded everything with the windows open because, you know, obviously pandemic and things like that. And I had my own separate room for my singing with the door open. So there was birds and lots of Montreal street traffic and things like that. But no snowplow. Not yet. That's going to be. Well, I guess we have it recorded now for posterity. The funny part is the song, like, is like this, which not to, like, belabor, like, the garden metaphor or anything, but it's like this tree that it has, it's its, its own, I don't know, it's it's almost like I, I the recording, uh, there's the other one, the recording is like um, the snapshot of 
oh, how cute I was when I was interpreting or like taking a picture of this tree. And now I'm just taking another picture of this tree and this tree is so much bigger and it's, it's shading in different places and it has these blooms and things like that. But it's, it's almost like I'm, I'm documenting the song, but the song is something separate from me once it's written. That's how it feels to me anyway. Like I get to be the person carrying the song for now. Kind of like the, kind of like in, in terms of covers too, that it's just, I don't know. I, I, not saying I don't want to take any credit for my own songs or, or something, but just that I feel there is something outside of me that also contributes. Call that whatever you want, whether it's inspiration, divinity, like influence, whatever it is, you know, gifts, like it could, you, people call it many things, but I definitely have that sensation of, okay, if I, if I, so the recordings are more like that feeling of, oh, 10 years ago, that was cute. You know, and I didn't appreciate or maybe I did. Now I appreciate it a different way kind of thing. I mean, obviously, in a literal sense, it is. But, you know, does does this feel like a covers album, but of songs that you've written? Yes and no, because because they are it's it's kind of like this. It's more in the tradition or something that I was kind of talking about in terms of I guess I could see it as a kind of covers album, actually. But I see it more as there's a lo- there's a lot of artists that redo or not redo but revisit the ones that come to mind like immediately are Walt Whitman with Leaves of Grass where he has several versions of the same you know great work and that there's the different editions and are different versions and and different edits and and all sorts of things that that one immediately comes to mind Frankenstein not that I'm comparing myself to Whitman and Mary Shelley but there's this there is this impulse I find in in different kinds of you know director's cuts or whatever it is right like there's even Kate Bush you know there's this impulse and there are people who like inadvertently revisit the same thing over and over again you know from the standpoint of like maybe subconsciously revisiting at least the themes or you know some broader issues yeah or or there's the you know people who just never change their sound that was a really nice way of saying that yeah sorry (laughs) allow me to be the the harsh one here (laughs) I, i was i was interviewing somebody uh years and years ago and he was a a music professor slash technology professor at the college I went to and he deals a lot in in Bach and at the time I I just had no affinity for classical music at all I asked him you know what's the on-ramp like what do you recommend and and he said fellow Canuck uh Glenn Gould recorded the Goldberg variations when he was in his 20s and then towards the end of his life and it was his recommendation because it puts into perspective the importance of the person interpreting it and and how these different factors impact them. And, and you know, if you listen to those back to back, and I, th- I think there's a version of the album that has both of, of the cycles on it. It really is like l- quite literally, you know, 20 year old Glenn Gould just playing it as fast as physically possible. And then I don't know how old he was when he died. It was very, relatively young. I think it was like yeah. 50s or 60s, but playing this sort really sort of somber languid version of the music and it's just fascinating to hear that the exact same songs filtered through the same person 20 30 years apart and have them feel completely different yeah i i think that impulse is there with so many artists and i think to 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 whether it's revisit or revision or um remember a kind of remembering because you are a different person 
every day, <laughs> but, but, um, certainly over time. And, and I think maybe as well, like when you're a performer and your job is to perform songs all the time and many times the same songs, or in terms of if you're interested in the folk tradition, you're, you're revisiting very old songs. You're carrying forward songs that are hundreds of years old or melodies, you know, sometimes we don't know how old they are. It is interesting to, to make a document of that. That is just part of the natural process because that's that's part of a kind of repetition that we're doing all the time and it's and it feels it i was very surprised to even hear the difference in my voice physically like, yeah just when you're saying like physically and different things just to have that um that change i mean maybe other people won't hear it, but for myself maybe i'm more sensitive to it but just to hear the difference just having sort of aids like even like five years yeah well it's certain things I, I sing higher or the timbre is different and part of it you know i'm sure was also being very pregnant <laughs> and just where you can breathe where your where your rib cage can expand at the time but and and some songs i think i sing better <laughs> So, and I could be wrong, right? So it's just, it's a really like, it's a fun impulse to explore. So long as you don't go, I mean, if that was everything I did all the time, no. But it's a way to kind of honor the fact, okay, I can't perform or go on tour for these past two years. So here's kind of like a way to kind of put on a little show. Was that really sort of the underlying impulse? Yeah, I'd been, I had been just, I'd just been starting to promote are you in love when uh, the pandemic began? And I had done a couple of these shows with a quartet and it was just so much fun. And then I just thought, well, what if we just record like a couple of the songs with the quartet and we'll put those out just for fun. And we just took all the arrangements we had over the years from various albums. Cause I had done that with symphonies or with, like I was saying with Philharmonics and stuff like that. And it, we just liked them all. There were like 16 songs. We just liked them all. <laughs> so we we're like, okay, well, I guess we can just put this out because why not? Like we have the freedom to do this. There's, you know, why, why not? It's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like any of them should not be on this whole package. So yeah, it, it felt like kind of in that way of this tangled little garden that, don't you just planted something a while back and then when you go back you're like oh that's growing into something kind of cool over there <laughs> didn't i didn't expect that you know to have these kind of thorns or you know just certain plants as they get older they get more interesting how much control did you give yourself or how much control did you cede when it came to the orchestral arrangements not very much I didn't want to get myself in there too much and and some of them are from from years ago right so um, their arrangements that I've been performing. Um, but I, I think that was some of the best part for me just to see how much certain people wanted to, which instruments were represented by violin or represented by cello or where were they going to put this melody? Where were they going to put this little refrain? So I, I don't, I don't, I didn't want to be too, Heavy-handed in that. Do micromanage Yeah. Do you write on the auto harp? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great It's a great tool when you just... The auto harp is like one of the best instruments ever because you really don't have to... I, I made other keys for it as well. Like there's... It's kind of limited, obviously, in terms of <laughs> the kind of chords. 
But it's it's so interesting as a songwriting tool because you can even just rearrange where the keys are. So the chords, you don't just go into that muscle memory. You're just you're just going to do something completely different and just play with it and see. But it's it's a very like I don't know maybe because it, it's just a very cuddly you know it's a it's a sharp prickly cuddly thing you do kind of hold it like a baby I guess now yeah you kind of you kind of have to well some people will play it on the lap on on their lap but um that's kind of awkward for me because I'd have to like where my hands go it's sort of like a lap steel almost yeah some people I you know will play it that way but but I play it the mother mabel carter dolly parton way more up here like a little yeah like a little baby i mean if you're gonna emulate two musicians this is is probably pretty good choice two heroes two heroes yeah i mean just such a cool history of great great women auto heart players just such a cool history pj harvey um just i mean not history that's contemporary that's current but just in terms of uh, i just think it's a really interesting thing why is it not more of a thing uh why is the auto heart no more of a thing is it's a pain in the butt to carry up here it's so so awkward and comfortable (laughs) but it's so beautiful but it's so beautiful there's a a practical issue with playing it yeah i think i mean the carpal tunnel that i gave myself after one tour i had to take a break it was it was very very it's very heavy yeah how much does the how much does the instrument impact the song at the end of the day when it comes to composition um i don't know because i'll write something on one instrument and then play it in those on in the studio on another and then we come back and redo it on a third thing instead so it's it's really hard to know and that's the part that's so interesting and like kind of liberating now over time as a songwriter to realize like okay it doesn't matter <laughs> the blueprint and like the melody and the and the message is what matters but like if i get too caught up in all of the oh it needs to be this and and maybe that will be now something that really matters to me. As soon as I say this, as soon as we get off this call, I'm going to be like some switch is going to go off in my brain and I'm going to be paying attention to all these details that I never, you know, I did at the start and then I let it go. And I'm, I'm going to go back into that mode or that like mind style, you know, of, okay, the, the way that I play this really, really matters. And it, and it does, it doesn't for me. <laughs> It's more the feeling. <laughs> it's a cliche, but it's a cliche for a reason that, you know, a good song, you should be able to play it on on any instrument. And I think that that's something that you have to be mindful of in, in practice because you'll record an album with a band or, or your tour with a band. But I know that you've not only sort of solo acoustic performances, but also like almost like that the Chuck Berry style of like doing pickup bands of like traveling around like Europe, for instance. And like, <sighs> I was so inspired by that documentary about him. Have you seen the documentary where he does that? Oh, it's so good. It's so good where he's just like on the plane. He's like smoking on the plane. <laughs> and like, it's so it's yeah, I was so inspired by that. And um, hold on, I'm going to find it for you right now. Okay. Is it contemporary? I don't think so. Hold on. I will tell you. I'm going to find it for you. I'm going to find it for you. It might be kind of, I don't think so. I have to find it, but it's, uh, or it was, just, yeah, it's just cool. It's cool to know. Yeah. And obviously the famous story, isn't it? 
isn't the story of him with Bruce Springsteen, where Bruce Springsteen was playing in one of those pickup bands? Like before he was Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, or maybe as he was becoming Bruce, as he was already Bruce Springsteen or something. Yeah, I've heard like stories about that, about how it just rolls into town and everybody's expected to know every single song. I mean, thankfully, <laughs> yes. like for better or worse, Chuck Berry is, gets back to the idea, idea of people who are in some sense playing the same song over and over again. <laughs> so. <laughs> So maybe yeah, there wasn't like a ton of variation. He figured it out. He cracked the code. So God bless him. Like he could, he could just He invented the code. He actually invented. Yes. <laughs> well, I think for me, the thing that I've, there's, there's two elements to what I do or how I see what I do. There's one that is songwriting. And then there's the other side that I just love performing um, or not necessarily in quotes performing, but playing music with other people. And what really interests me, excites me is that kind of listening, that kind of exchange with somebody that you don't know necessarily, or you get to, you get to know someone really well, very quickly, um, in a, in a certain sense when you're playing music together and you get to develop something. Uh, sometimes it's instant and that's really magical. And it's, it's like friendships, it's like relationships, but it's, it's a whole other thing as well that, um, you don't know what kind of musical chemistry you're going to have with somebody until you get in a room with them. And that is just really fun when it works. It's awesome. And, and that's a very like old tradition as well. Right. Like that's just, I don't know how to explain that, but that's what we all love. I think most people, if they're interested in any kind of group or I don't know, band, I don't even know how to, I've lost all my words. Thanks mom brain. But versus just the pop style of like, okay, I'm going to do this particular thing. But just like improvisation, just seeing where something goes is one of the like most magical gifts that music has given me. 